Ephesians chapter 6, we have a couple of scriptures to read tonight. Begin by reading the book of Ephesians. We'll read the three questions and answers. That's on page 63, the back of your blue hymnal for our catechism lesson tonight. Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Amen. And then back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians 10 verses 12 through 14. So if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Catechism lesson tonight, Lord's Day 52. Lord's Day 52. Questions 127 through 129. Let's read the answers together. What does the sixth request mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. What does your conclusion to this prayer mean? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever means we have made all these requests of you 
because as our powerful, all-powerful king, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. And what does that little word amen express? Amen means this is sure to be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Before I begin, just when, can someone who is behind my family let me know, did my wife take my daughters when she left? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> making sure. I'm supposed to kind of keep an eye on them if she leaves. So. I've been uh, giving myself a little bit, trying to refresh my, my guitar skills lately, playing guitar a little bit more, took it up as a little bit of a hobby during the, the lockdown. I used to play a lot more and kind of wanted to get back into it. So I watched some videos online, get, get a sense of what I'm doing again and, and trying to get back into it. And you know, most of the time, these guys who, are, who make these videos are incredible players. And you, you try to get a sense of what they're doing, and they'll say, you know, just do this. And then they'll do something that's completely incredible. And, and basically, at the end of the video, I'm left saying, okay, so basically what I learned from this video is that I can't do that, and that I'll never be able to do that. And imagine going into a, a classroom to, to learn something, anything, on any subject. And the teacher says, the main thing you have to know is that you, you can't really do this, or you, you can't really know this, what I'm about to teach. It, it would seem like superfluous that you were even there. And that's certainly not what the Lord is teaching us in this prayer, but uh, in this, this last petition of the Lord's Prayer. But something that we do need to know and understand is that this petition teaches us that we cannot, in our own ability and in our own strength, fight the battle that God calls us to fight. And it is a spiritual battle. It is serious. The stakes are high. It is uh, something that's fought with ultimate and eternal ramifications. God calls us to fight it, but he calls us to know and to understand that we cannot do it by our own strength. We cannot do it in our own ability. So in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, we have those three petitions, petitions four, five, and six, that more directly deal or ask God to give us some blessing. We ask that he would give us food, that he would give us uh, our daily necessities, and we ask him that so that we might be able to serve him. We ask that he would forgive us our sins because we know that the only way we can be pleasing to God is if we are reconciled to him. And this last petition is a way that we ask God to preserve us in that state of holiness. The great Dutch theologian Abrockel says this, commenting on this part of the Lord's Prayer. Since spiritual life is feeble, faith is weak, the soul has little strength, 
Since it pleased the Lord to give our enemies opportunity to assail us and draw us into evil, and since those enemies are shrewd, tireless, and powerful, we realize that we should constantly fear being led and drawn into sin and bring us to a place where we cannot do anything spiritual and for God's kingdom. Therefore, we flee to the Lord for help in order that we might be preserved in holiness and made to serve him more. So if we know and we understand from the outset that this is something to fight the battle of serving God, to look sin and temptation and evil in the face and be able to continually press further into holiness, we know and understand that we cannot do that by our own strength. What does it cause us to do? It causes us to flee to the Lord for help. We can't fight by our own wisdom, by our own strategies, by our own strength. We need God's wisdom. We need God's strategies. We need God's strength. That's why we read in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not stand in your own strength. Not fight with your own weapons. Use the weapons the Lord has given to you. At foundation, the the spiritual battle we're called to is a call to faith. To believe in in all that God says and declares to us, to trust his word, to trust his word and his truth even over our own instincts. To live by faith means to live in dependence upon God and to strive to do so each and every moment. John Calvin says this, commenting on faith. Faith implies that we know God as our father, that we depend unreservedly on him, And boldly call on him in prayer, confident that he will answer and will help in time of need. We must also look to him for the everlasting salvation which he has promised. It's a good good summary of faith, that we trust what he says in his word, that we depend unreservedly upon him, that we go to him constantly in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is a sign that you are leaning upon God. Prayer is a sign that you're willing to say you cannot do what you're asking God to do. That you need his help, that you need his power, that you need his strength. Faith is said in Ephesians 6 to be our shield. It is faith that allows us to fend off all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it's a call to faith. Beginning of knowing how to fight the spiritual battle is the need to be rich in faith. So when we pray, do not lead us into temptation, what do we mean by that? What what do we mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Here's the central idea. God does not lead or entice or lure anyone towards sin, but he is pleased to bring situations into our lives and to bring us into situations that show the true nature of our hearts. So we experience things that are tests of who we are, of what we are made of. And that does not mean that God is enticing or luring or tempting. It means that he tests us. Thomas Watson says this, Does God lead into temptation? God tempts no man to sin. James 1 says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God permits sin, but he does not promote it. 
He who is an encourager of holiness cannot be a pattern of sin. God does not tempt to that which he has an antipathy. antipathy, What king will tempt his subjects to break laws which he himself has established? And yet we read that God tempted Abraham in Genesis 22. But that tempting was no more than testing. He tried Abraham's faith as a goldsmith tries gold in the fire. But there is a great deal of difference between testing his people's grace and exciting their corruption. See, that's not what God does. God does not excite our corruption, trying to lure and entice his people into sin. But he does place his people in the fire to see what they are made of. And that is a test. He is proving what is in us. And we might say more clearly that he's allowing us to see what we are made of. He allows us to see more clearly what is in ourselves because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And when we are put into situations where we are tempted to sin, we find out a little bit more about who we are. So we read in the catechism that there are different sources of temptation the world the flesh the devil first the world the things around us there there's a lot of wickedness in this world a lot of things that would entice us to sin that excite our corruption we need to be aware of that we need to have wisdom in dealing with that we also can be tempted by our lusts within and James chapter 1 says this that that which is in our corrupted nature, that's still operating within us, that can lead us into sin. And we all know those realities, that there's something in us that's pulling us towards disobedience. This is the struggle of Paul in Romans chapter 7. I want to serve God, and yet there's something else that's going on within me, pulling me towards disobedience and not obedience. But in the Lord's Prayer, there seems to also be more of a direct focus upon our chief enemy, the devil, Satan, to deliver us from evil. Some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the chief of all of the hosts, of all of the armies that are waging war against God and against the forces of good. We read in scripture that He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So as we consider our great enemy, and the one who is so powerful and so shrewd to bring about temptation, why is that something we ought to think about or be aware of? You tell people today that you believe in the devil, you believe in Satan, and you're automatically put into, into the category of almost kooky, right? You're sort of weird. Uh, but the Bible tells us that it's something that uh, we need to affirm. The devil is real. We think about him, we understand that he is very malicious. Think about the malice that fills his heart. Think about how cynical, how evil, how hateful is the one who is the fount of all malice, of all evil, of all hate in the world. He would do anything to claim more people for himself. He would ruin and destroy life to degrees that we could never fathom. And he enjoys creating destruction. Think about how diligent Satan is. 
Think about how much his hatred for God fuels him. He is only driven by pure rebellion and hatred and rage towards the one who created him. He never stops. Think about his power. Think about how many of God's people he has succeeded in leading into life-altering sins. Think about the number of good people who generally were serving God, who loved Christ, who had their life thrown off track because they fell to temptation. And think about his skill. His skill. He has been at it a long time. Think about how many different kinds of people he has succeeded in drawing into temptation. How many people he has been about the business of tempting. He is a veteran at it. So we need to know and understand that there is an enemy. The world, many things in the world, will draw and entice us, will excite our corruption. There are things within us that are going to pull us towards sin. We have uh, a, a great and powerful enemy that stands against us. And so we need to understand that each and every day we face a reality of temptation. But there is comfort as we think about temptation. There is a huge battle that is raging and yet we find reasons to be comforted. The first is this, that the most uh, glorious saints, the, the greatest heroes of the faith, all faced temptation. And a lot of times you talk to people and they say, just I feel like I'm not, uh, I'm always being tempted, I'm always being drawn towards something and it's, I feel like it's taking control of my life and I feel like I have such a different experience than anyone else. We all know we're all tempted to sin and the greatest heroes of the faith were tempted as well. When we are facing great temptation, that is an evidence of grace in our lives because we know that the only people that Satan is concerned with tempting are those who have been uh, brought into the kingdom of God, and now he's trying to throw us off our mission and our purpose. Another source of comfort is that when we are tempted, Christ is near at hand. All of the names of Jesus, most of the names of Jesus, that is, give us comfort. Listen to this. Satan is called the devourer. Christ is called the savior. Satan is called the strong man. Christ is called the mighty God. The devil is called the accuser. Christ is called our advocate. Satan is called the tempter. Christ is called our comforter. Satan is called the prince of darkness. Christ is called the son of righteousness. The devil is the serpent. Christ is the brazen serpent who heals. Jesus is our ultimate support in temptation. Why? Because he gives us his spirit, because he intercedes for us, and because it is in him that we are strengthened to fight the battle that we are called to. Be strong in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We should also be comforted to know that Satan can only tempt us as far as God allows. We see that at the beginning of the book of Job. God says, I will let you do this in Job's life and no more. We're also reminded in 1 Corinthians 10 that every temptation that we face is not something beyond what we can bear. Not something that, without, that with God's help we won't be able to endure. 
And then finally, temptations will produce good. Temptations will produce good. God will use all things for our good and for his glory. When we ask, how do we fight temptation? What do we do when uh, we experience some situation in our life that we would say is a temptation of any kind? Well, there isn't much of a secret to it. As I said, it begins with faith. We fight the spiritual battle we're called to with faith. But we also need to know that it's a matter of the heart. When we, we talk about saying no to sin, we talk about obeying God, a lot of times we can have our minds fully wrapped around the idea of willpower. That it's all about the power of my will. I need to just have the, the power to say no. And there is something to that. But we also need to know that our will is determined to, by other things. We talk about the Christian heart, the teaching of the heart in scripture, that are all these faculties of the soul that work together. The mind, what you know, what you know about God, the truth that you know, the, the, the words from the scriptures that you have stored away in your mind that allow you to think about God a certain way and allow you to understand him in a deeper way. As we grow in our knowledge of God, our knowledge then feeds into our affections, the affections of our heart. What do we love? What do we treasure? What is most important to us? It's the mind working together with the affections that then shapes our will. We can say no to sin if we don't have deep affections for Christ, but those who have deep affections for Christ will say no to sin much more often. So when we fight this spiritual battle to which we're called, one that we're called to to fight in the strength of Christ and by the power of God, we need to know and understand that there's a whole host of things that will help determine how we act in a certain given situation before that situation comes into our lives. Are you sitting under the preaching of God's word? Are you seeking, humbly seeking God before you come to church each Sunday asking that God would bless your hearing of the word and that through it he would transform you? Are you humbly seeking to serve God day after day when you don't feel you're being assailed with whatever temptation you think may come along someday? It's... Oftentimes, what we do in the boring days, that will determine how we react in the days where we are in the thick of battle. If we understand that the human heart is connected in these ways, the mind, the affections, the will, we can know ourselves better and we can glorify God in the day of trial. But what about when we're overcome by temptation? What about when we sin in any way, whatever way might assail us, when we feel overcome and then we feel like we're in the pit, the pit of guilt? Well, it's then that we have to act with a gutsy faith in the gospel. And we need to remember these principles. The first is this, that the grace in us can be shaken but not destroyed. If you are a child of God, you cannot be kicked out of the family of God. You can be bruised, 
but not destroyed. You can be overcome in many battles, but not in the war. And many of us, those of us who have known Christ a long time, will tell you there will be many battles that you lose. But if you know God and Jesus Christ, you will not lose the war. Third, God does not judge his children by a single action. He judges them by the frame of the heart. One Puritan puts it this way. God does not take the measure of a saint when the devil has boiled him up in a passion. But he judges of him by the pulse and temper of his heart. The Christian would fear God. And when he fails, he weeps. God looks which way the bias of his heart stands. And if his heart is set against sin, God will pardon. Take stock in where your heart is after you're overcome by temptation. If your heart is set against sin, then you know God, even still, even at that moment, looks upon your heart and he can pardon. And then lastly, God will turn your failures into spiritual advantage. As human beings, we will fail. We will let our God down. We will let our king down. And yet we need to know and understand that God will turn our failures to our spiritual advantage. John Owen says there may be a measure in which God allows Christians to fall by lesser sins. So as to build them up. Make them aware of where their weaknesses are. So that they do not fall to greater sins. God will turn it to your spiritual advantage. So have a gutsy faith in the gospel and a faith in what God is doing in you even in the midst of your failure. So then just a couple more comments then as we bring this to a close this evening. If we know all of these things, that we're assailed by temptation, we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, which uh, is something that I would say a lot of Christians don't know today. Uh, Perhaps it is the ease with which we're able to live a large measure of our lives. We don't really understand and know the depth of the battle that we are in. But if we know all of those things, uh, how do we come to these realities about temptation and make improvements in our lives through them? First is this. Well, we need to know that we are in continual danger, as the Catechism says. We're always in danger. Always one breath away, one step away, one heartbeat away from falling into dangerous sins. We need to know the devices of Satan, know the way that he acts. We talked, uh, going back, that video series that we did a few months ago during the lockdown. Uh, We need to know the devices of Satan. How does he entice you to sin? He shows you the pleasure of sin, but he hides the bite of sin. He'll assure you and let you know that good people sin and struggle. There are many good Christians who struggle with this sin, so you go ahead and do it. He'll tell you repentance is easy. It's really easy to repent. And repentance is not an easy work. He'll tell you just being around sin is not sin to make you see it and be enticed by it. He'll tell you that God is all of mercy. God is merciful and gracious. He delights to forgive. So go ahead and sin and then he'll forgive you. He'll tell you serving God is not worth it. Look around. The people who prosper in the world are wicked and saints suffer. The more you serve God, the more you suffer. So why would you want to be like that? Just sin a little bit. You need to know the kinds of things he puts in front of us 
and know that we are in danger all of the time if we do not stand our guard. We also need to uh, take care to order our life in ways that allow us to better fight against temptation. I've read theologians or really practical theologians who say it's a bad idea uh, to always be a solitary person, to try to, to live your life in Christ on your own. I've met a, f- a friend the last couple of weeks and uh, he's one of these fellows who says he, he loves God, he loves Christ, but uh, he has no place in the church. He had a couple bad experiences in the church. He says he, he worships God uh, on his own, in his home, alone on, on Sunday morning. And that is a recipe for spiritual disaster. We need to be in the church. We need to be around people. We need to uh, not spend long days and long hours without the company of others. Seeing other people, being reminded of what God has done and is doing in others is a spiritual encouragement to us. We need to take care that we use the things of this earth moderately to be sober-minded, to be reasonable, to be prudent, to use things with care. We need to avoid idleness. Don't just think about avoiding temptation, but think about filling your life with the service of God. If you are diligent in filling your life and filling your days with serving God, and whatever you do, whatever your vocation is, but if you are diligent in filling your life with serving God, then when the devil comes, what will he find? He'll find that you are at work, that you are busy, and that he cannot distract you. And so, we'll end tonight. I wanted to end by sharing just this last exhortation I found in a sermon from John Calvin this week. And pay attention to how he lays before us a call to faith, a call to trust in the word of God and a call to diligence in pursuing holiness. He says this. Now let us cast ourselves down before the face of our good God, acknowledging our faults and asking him to take from us our empty trust in the mind of flesh and to enable us to serve him that we hold nothing back. And since he has graciously given us his word to be our rule, May we allow ourselves to be guided and taught by it so that more and more we we may strive to be built up in him. May we not cease to offer him our souls and bodies as a sacrifice. And may we be so consecrated to him that he may dwell in us as his true temples. There may he reign and may his image shine forth that at the last we may share in the everlasting glory which he has prepared for us. We humble ourselves. We acknowledge our faults. We don't trust in ourselves or in our own power, our own strength. We trust in God's power. We seek to be shaped and guided by his word. And it is our utmost desire that our bodies and our souls would be oriented towards the glory and the service of God that he would reign in us now because one day the righteous will shine like the sun And he will reign forever and ever. And we will share in that everlasting glory. So may that be our hope. And may we seek to live more and more in line with that glory and that kingdom each and every day. Let's pray. So God, we pray that you would build us up through these truths. We thank you for 
our spiritual forefathers. And we thank you for these, uh, these reformed confessions and catechisms that uh, we have received. Taking them to be a faithful exposition of your word. We thank you for the reminder that we're called to a spiritual battle. And that we cannot take that lightly. We cannot ignore that. We pray that by your power and by your strength we would stand. That we would understand that whatever you bring our way is a testing of our faith. That it's to help us to know ourselves. That it builds us up and that you will use it to our spiritual advantage and to your glory. So each and every day. May we remind ourselves that there isn't a moment that passes by that you have not decreed. And through that, may we seek to honor you and serve you from our hearts and in our bodies and our lives. In Christ's name, amen.